Well, good morning and welcome. Raise your hand this morning if you've ever heard the expression trigger warning. About half of us out there, a few giggles, snickering. Trigger warning is uh, it's a phenomenon on college campuses across America. A situation where students are demanding of their professors that they would warn them before they taught them something that might cause them distress or discomfort. As I think about this concept of a trigger warning, it got me to thinking. Whenever and wherever the word of God is preached in truth and in power, our flesh, our sinful nature ought to experience discomfort and distress. Consider yourselves warned. Today is going to be a continuation in our sermon series on the seven deadly sins and the corresponding virtues to those sins. I've been asked to preach to you this morning on the sin of gluttony and the virtue of temperance. When we think of temperance, it's not a word that we use every day, so we can think in terms of self-denial, self-restraint, moderation. These would be reasonable synonyms for temperance. In fact, I've actually chosen our our text for this morning on the side of our virtue. So this time, I invite you to stand with me. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 25 of Luke chapter 9. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? These are the words of God. Please be seated. If you've been a disciple of Jesus Christ for any length of time at all, really, you'll be familiar with this text. In fact, I encourage you to memorize this text and to meditate on it often. I'd like to begin by making a simple observation about what we've just heard. The observation is this. There is a cost of discipleship. There's a cost of discipleship. Now, I'd like to make a distinction quickly on this. The cost of discipleship is not the same thing as the cost of salvation. You and I know that the cost of salvation is a cost that we could never pay. We can't cover that cost. The cost of salvation is a cost that only the Lord Jesus himself could pay. And he did so by living a sinless life in perfect obedience to God the Father. 
And that perfect obedience ultimately led him to the cross where his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. So that we who put our faith in Jesus Christ might be saved from our sins and the wrath of God might be turned away from us. That is the cost of salvation. So in no way when Jesus tells us that if we are to come after him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. He's not speaking there of the cost of salvation. What the Lord is speaking of is the cost of discipleship. So while the cost of salvation is free, a free gift of God's grace for us, the cost of discipleship is not free at all. The cost of discipleship is what happens. It's the, it's the most logical thing that happens to a, a new believer. The Spirit of God enters us, the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And our hearts are filled with gratitude. And out of that gratitude, we enter onto the narrow path. This is discipleship. Now the Lord outlines three simple components to discipleship for us. First thing we notice is that if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we must practice self-denial. If anyone would come after me, the Lord said, he must deny himself. The second thing we must do if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus is we must count our life as though it were lost. In this sense, we could say that we as Christians are the walking dead. Because our way, our will, our desires are to be wholly surrendered to his way, his will, his desires. We die to ourselves so that we may live to Jesus Christ. Third component of the cost of discipleship is that we must strive to be like Jesus. Because if anyone would come after me, the Lord said, he must follow me. In fact, for a true disciple of Jesus, we want nothing more than to be like our Lord and Savior. Do you want to be like him? Is it the truest longing of your heart is to be like him? This is the cost of discipleship. Practice self-denial. Count your life as lost. Strive to be like Jesus. Now here's what I'd like you to do with that. I'd like you to take that cost of discipleship and I'd like, I'd like you to let it operate on you in the background because that is going to flavor everything that I have to say from this moment forward about the sin of gluttony. Gluttony. Gluttony is consuming more than you need. Gluttony is consuming more than you need. Now, traditionally speaking, when we think of gluttony, we think of consuming or overindulging in more food than we need, right? That is accurate, but it is narrow. So we're going to expand that, okay? We're going to expand it because the, the true idea is consuming more than you need. So we can say consuming more, fill in the blank, than you need. And I'd also like you to consider 
that when we talk about consuming, we're not only talking about overindulging, but we're also talking about overamassing, keeping more than you need. So now we can say that gluttony is consuming and keeping more than you need. Now, you might remember from a few weeks ago, Dr. Stoll preached to us from Luke chapter 12 on the sin of greed. And we learn there that greed was a desire for more. Specifically, greed is a desire for more than you need. Greed says, I have enough food, shelter, and clothing, but I desire more. So while greed says, I desire more, gluttony says, I want to experience more. Gluttony says, if some is good, more is better. Gluttony doesn't accept that good is enough. Gluttony indulges. Gluttony doesn't accept that a 2,000 square foot house is enough. So long as our bank account can withstand it and the mortgage broker says yes, gluttony says, give me the 3,000 square feet. Give me the 4,000 square feet. Give me the 5,000 square feet. Do I hear six, seven? In our lives, when we talk about consuming more than we need, we do this with food, absolutely. We do it with both the quantity of food, we do it with the frequency that we eat food. We do it with television, to the extent that someone coined the phrase some years ago, binge watching. We do it with social media. We do it with our communication with one another to the point that we're unwilling to drive across this city 20 minutes without text messaging and putting our own lives in danger and the lives of other people on the road. We do it with news media. Walk down in a suburb in America at night, look to your left inside the large picture window. What do you see? Two heads cocked back at 45 degree angle, looking up at a large 64 inch TV from Costco. Who's on the screen? Wolf Blitzer. Anderson Cooper giving us the news. Look to the right side, what do you see? Same two heads, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, giving us the nudes. We love to consume, consume the news. When we talk about over amassing and keeping more than we need, oh, we do this, we do this with our money, we do it with our house size. We do it with cars and boats and outdoor toys. We do it with second homes and third homes and we work and we save and we work and we save so that we can afford to accumulate. We want to experience more. See, I think if we're being honest, we can hear the truth that we in America have become disconnected We've become disconnected from realities that are being experienced in other parts of the world. We're insulated. When it comes to gluttony, when it comes to consuming and keeping more than we need, I think what we've done is we have rationalized and restructured biblical truth. 
which is kind of a fancy way of saying that we've rejected the word of God when it comes to this sin. Jesus, does anyone, does anyone know what Jesus called his generation when he walked among us? See, think about this for a second. The God of the universe takes on flesh, becomes a man, walks among us, looks us in the eyes, listens to us, speaks with us. What does he say? What does he see? Did he say, hey, Father, these people are pretty good. They're doing all right. I like what I see. I'll tell you what he said. He called his generation faithless and twisted. That is the incarnate God speaking through a human mouth, looking at his own creation, and he calls them faithless and twisted. What do you think the Lord Jesus would say about our generation and our time right now? As Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven on his throne and looks down upon the United States, upon Grand Rapids, Michigan, upon Crossroads Bible Church, what do you think he sees? What would he say? Does he see a generation of men and women who are walking on the narrow path? Or does he see something else? Does he see a generation of gluttons? of people who are consuming and keeping more than they need. Are we not a gluttonous generation? Are we not a generation that overconsumes and overamasses? Do we not keep more than we need? And here's the thing, not only are we that, we too are twisted. Twisted in the sense that in our gluttony, we have the audacity to give thanks to God for the excesses. We are blessed to be a blessing. A thought I'd like you to consider is this. Have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, it wasn't God who filled up your bank account or your garage or your pantry. Maybe it was the devil that did that. Now before you accuse me of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and being a heretic, I'd like you to consider the Lord's baptism and temptation in the wilderness. Matthew chapter three and four, the Lord Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. 
He comes up out of the water and immediately the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and heaven opens up and a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And immediately Jesus is led off into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And after that, he was hungry. The devil comes to him. In the third of three temptations, the devil brings Jesus to a high mountain and says to him, all of it I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Worship me. Now, I can't say with certainty that the devil had the power to make good on that promise. But what I can say is that Jesus did not refute him on that point. See, I think, I think gluttony in our lives, when we consume and keep more than we need, it is a symptom of spiritual drift. When we consume and keep more than we need, it is really a sign that we are still holding on to our independence. We could rephrase that. And we could say that when we consume and keep more than we need, we are withholding our dependence from God. We're withholding our dependence from God. So where does this leave us? What are we to do? Well, for starters, I have a confession to make. My confession is that the Holy Spirit is very much at work in my life and has been for quite some time. I confess that I am greedy, that I desire more than I need, and I'm a glutton. I consume and keep more than I need. And I hold on to my independence and I wrestle God for it. But let me testify today that the Spirit of God is at work in me. The Spirit of God is at work in my life. He is renewing my mind. He is transforming me. And I don't want to be this way. See, repentance starts with confession. And I'll tell you this much. If we are going to reflect Jesus Christ in the most prosperous time and place in human history, we are going to need wisdom. We need wisdom from God. So let me invite you now to open your Bibles to the Proverbs. I'm going to spend just a moment here in Proverbs, and we're going to look at chapter 30. Specifically, we're going to explore for a moment verses 7 through 9 of Proverbs chapter 30. 
if you can receive it, this is a powerful, powerful text for our time. Before I, before I speak to you about a seven through nine, I want to draw attention here just to the first three verses because there's something exceptional and sweet about these first three verses. The sayings of Agor, this man, this man had been through something. This man, I think, was coming to terms with something about himself, his own wickedness. He says, I am weary, oh God, I am weary. I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not learned wisdom. I do not have knowledge of the Holy One. Now this man who has not learned wisdom, let me tell you what comes out of this man is astonishing. He says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only what is needful for me. Give me only my daily bread or else I may have too much. I may become full and forget about you and say, who is the Lord? Or else I might become poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This prayer that we find here in the Proverbs, what we find here is timeless truth. This timeless truth speaks to us right now in our time, in the most prosperous time and place in human history. If you can hear the word of God, if you can hear wisdom, this is it. This prayer, what we find is that God speaks to us through the voice of wisdom and he speaks to both our desire for more than we need, which is greed, and he also speaks to what may happen to us when we consume and keep more than we need, which is gluttony. Here we find that wisdom tells us what happens to us when we're full. And it's brilliant. Because let me tell you, turns out it doesn't matter whether or not it was God or the devil who gave you the opportunity to consume and keep more than you need. Maybe it was the devil who filled up your bank account in your garage as a temptation. Or maybe it was God who's testing you to find out what's in your heart so that he can experience whether or not you'll obey his commands. I think the point is that when we're full, when we consume and keep more than we need, we might forget about God. We might deny him. We might disown him. So, what is the remedy? Is anybody interested in the remedy? Is there a prescription for our gluttony? 
Again, you remember back a few weeks ago, Dr. Stowe preached to us from Luke 12 on the sin of greed. And we learn there that the remedy for greed is generosity. The remedy for greed is generosity. And now here this morning, we're learning that the remedy for gluttony is self-denial or temperance, right? So the remedy for greed is generosity. The remedy for gluttony is self-denial. I want you to take note of something. This is very, very important. Hear this. Generosity is not the remedy for gluttony. Let that sink in for a minute. Your generosity is not the remedy for your gluttony. Generosity does not cure you when you consume and keep more than you need. Generosity is the remedy for desiring more than you need. Speaks to desire. You know what that means? That means that your generosity does not negate your gluttony. It doesn't nullify it. Let me tell you what we've done here. We have managed to swap out self-denial for generosity in the equation. Follow me on this. We have made a backroom deal. That's what that's called. It's a dirty deal too. It is not okay to consume and keep more than you need as as long as you just give. See, that's the deal. I mean, look around. Tell Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. See, it's like we're all in on it too, right? We've all agreed to it. Look around. While you're looking around, find a mirror. Look there first. Look at your neighbors to your left or right, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at your friends. Look at your your family. What have we done? Those among us who have the most means, almost without fail, they give and then they keep. They give more and then they keep more. And everybody accepts it. Because we have accepted the backroom deal that generosity is the cure for gluttony. But ask anybody who's been sick and they will tell you something. They'll tell you what happens when you try to apply the wrong remedy to the disease. What happens? You don't get well. That's what happens. It's the wrong remedy. And it's even worse than that. Not only is generosity the wrong remedy for gluttony, when we try to apply it that way, what we do is we actually exacerbate our gluttony. We enable more gluttony. Give more, keep more. See, now, we, again, we're twisted. We rationalize. We restructure the truth. We justify in our own mind that if I only give more, it, it's good, it's okay. We'll keep, it's good. That's what we do. We're twisted. 
So I'd like you to follow me on this pattern of thinking a little bit further now. So the remedy for greed is generosity. And the question that flows out of that remedy is how much should I give? Back to Dr. Stoll's sermon, how much should I give? And Dr. Stoll at that point exhorted us by saying, just get started. If you have a desire, to keep, to, a desire for more than you need, then get started giving generously. Chip away at that desire. So if we follow the same logic, what we can say is, okay, the remedy for our gluttony is self-denial. Therefore, the question that flows out of that is what? How much should I keep? So we're just flipping the coin over. Greed and gluttony are two sides of the same coin. How much should I keep? This is not a rhetorical question. Not this morning. We're going to answer this question this morning. Trigger warning. We're going to answer this question this morning. The answer to how much do I keep is this. You may keep as much as you need. Don't keep more than you need. Jesus said in in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. I think the idea here is that the people of God need to get hungry and stay hungry for God. This is not complicated, but it's not easy because we're evil. And our flesh is constantly at war with the spirit of God and we rationalize and we restructure the truth and we do just about anything we can do to weasel our way out of denying ourselves. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Now at some point in my preparation for today, it occurred to me what we're dealing with right now, what we're really talking about is holiness. We're talking about holiness. So what does self-denial have to do with holiness? Well, holiness in the Bible is the idea of being separate. Separateness. So when we, when we apply holiness or the idea of being separate to God in Scripture, what we see is we see that God is utterly unique. He is other than. He is not like us. In fact, God is infinitely valuable. He is infinitely worthy of our praise. When we take this idea of holiness or separateness and we apply it to us as sinful man... Now we see that the first thing for us is that we are to become like God in the sense that what God celebrates, we celebrate. What grieves God, grieves us. What concerns God, concerns us. 
We are to be separate in the sense that we are to be separating ourselves from sin. We are to be separating ourselves from the world and its values. So the question I have then is to the outsider. Does your lifestyle look any different from theirs? Let's take you and let's take an unbeliever. Same occupation, same tax bracket. Line them up. Is there any distinguishable difference between your lifestyle and their lifestyle? Or have you rationalized and restructured and somehow made it so that the holiness is internal only? That the internal holiness doesn't need to have the external expression in our actual lifestyle. This is what we do. I ask you this morning, have you kept yourself holy in this way with this sin of gluttony? Or have you indulged yourself by consuming and keeping more than you need? You know, one of the purposes of God's law in the Old Testament is that it demonstrates or illustrates to the outside world that the people of God are not like them. When they make that observation, they also can see that the God of the Israelites is not like their gods. Conversely, the Old Testament law illustrates for the people of God that they are not to be like the people of the world. So in this way, what we see here is we find in the Old Testament, the law becomes a picture of holiness. But when we don't deny ourselves, when we consume and keep more than we need, not only do we put our souls at risk, as in we might forget about God, deny him, disown him. Not only do we do that, but in our gluttony, we actually conceal the holiness of God. I mean, what if you can't be full and be holy at the same time? What if it just doesn't work that way? We might want it to work that way, but God will not be mocked. See, in order for the people of God to be holy in this world, we have to be willing to allow the world to see our dependence on God. Can you hear that? Our dependence on our God is our glory. Our dependence on our God is our strength. Why are we concealing that? When we are weak, then we are strong. If the people of God, if we would deny ourselves in addition to our generosity, if we were known for exercising moderation and self-restraint, 
oh, I think we would tell a very different story to the world around us. Let me tell you what that story would sound like. Sound like this. Sound like a man who found a hidden treasure buried in a field. And he went and he sold everything he had. And in his joy, he went and he bought that field. That's the story that we could be telling right now. But we're not, are we? Because we're content applying the wrong remedy to the disease. Brothers and sisters, there is a cost of discipleship. And the cost is holiness. Do you want to be holy? Are you willing to be holy? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning confessing ourselves to be wicked people, confessing ourselves to be sinners, confessing ourselves to be liars and deceivers who have illegitimately restructured your word to believe that somehow we may mock you and that we may give and keep and give and keep. Father, I throw myself at your feet and confess myself to be a sinner. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would cut us open and operate on us. Heal us, God. Give us right thinking. Give us courage to live out true faith in this world. Help us to be like the people who went and found the hidden treasure. Lord, it was you who said this. You had the full deck of cards. You said it's like this. Help us to be people who go and sell our possessions so that we can buy the field with the hidden treasure. Help us to illustrate for the world that we are not people who hold on to the riches of this place. We need you, God. Amen.